welcome to another episode of the Bipolar Disorder Moment. My name is Alan Cooper. Today will be the seventh reading from my yet-to-be-published book, Brain Betrayal, The Alan They Never Met. Today I will be reading about my first trip to Japan, an experience that changed my life and I am truly grateful for, for multiple reasons. So I'm going to begin today, the entire reading today will be one fairly long reading about my trip from when I get off the plane until I get to where I spend the next year in Sendai, Japan. Okay, let's get started. This chapter is called Chapter 8, The Japanese Experience. Getting to Sendai. I arrived at the Narita International Airport mid-afternoon and took a bus to central Tokyo. The humidity was thick and I was drenched in sweat. I struggled to free my luggage from the rack as other passengers pushed past me. I got off the bus and took a moment to appreciate my accomplishment. I had the courage to take on a new challenge in life and I was proud of myself. I was excited about my new adventure. Thomas had written down instructions for me to get to Sendai. I took the crumpled piece of paper out of my pocket. It said, follow the crowd. I was standing alone. Follow the crowd? I knew I had to find Ueno Station, where I would catch the Shinkansen to Sendai. I took the most logical path to exit the building, and while my suitcase bounced along the bumps for the visually impaired on the sidewalk, I managed to glean directions from Tokyo lights rushing past me. When I arrived at the station, I reread the paper which said, Keiko will meet you. I told her to look for a foreigner with a mustache. I walked through a sea of Japanese people trying to make my face as visible as possible. It was like being a limo driver waiting to pick up a client, but instead of a sign with a surname, I displayed my Pakistani-Canadian face with a mustache. Eventually, A hand from the crowd reached out and grabbed my sleeve. A young woman stood in front of me with the warmest and happiest smile I had ever seen. Aru, she said. Thomas had told me that my name, Al, would be Aru in Japanese. Yes, I said. She pointed to her nose and said, Keiko, and then bowed. I'd never had anyone bow to me before. I didn't know what to do, so I made an awkward attempt at it, and we both laughed. Okay, let's go, she said, and grabbed the strap on my suitcase. We went up to a ticket window and asked a question. The attendant shook his head and pointed to a different area of the station. We tried a couple more windows until we found the right one. Keiko told me how much money, in Japanese yen, 
I needed to pay, using her fingers to clarify. She reached out with both hands, holding her palms placed together perfectly, to form a little tray to accept my money. She said, Height, as I laid the cash in her hands. Keiko took me to my seat on the train and said, Please, gesturing for me to sit down. I thanked her, and with a big smile, she gave me a little bow. I responded with my clumsy bow, and we both laughed again. Bye-bye, she said in her high-pitched voice, and raised her hand up to her shoulder to give me a tiny wave. I worried that Keiko may have made a mistake, because she seemed unsure when she left me on the train. I showed my ticket to four men sitting close to me. Is this where I'm supposed to sit? I asked. They looked at the ticket and discussed the matter. The oldest man in his late fifties said, Okay, 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 pointing to where I was sitting. A younger man, holding the ticket, shook his head. He got up and said, This way, while beckoning me to follow him. We went to another car, and he said, You sit here. Thank you, I said. He bowed, and I attempted to bow back to him, which made him smile. Once the train started to move, my next task was to contact Thomas's friends, the Yamamotos. I was going to stay with them until I got settled in Japan. I walked around until I found a large green cube-shaped phone box sitting on a counter. I used my phone card, dialed, and heard a woman's voice answer the phone. Aru, she said. Hi, yes, is this Junko? Junko spoke some English, but, ha but having a fluent conversation with her was a bit of a challenge. Where are you? she asked. I glanced at the map above me, but the Japanese characters were meaningless to me. Aru, what train are you on? Junko said. I fished the ticket out of my pocket, and it only had Japanese characters on it, too. I'm screwed. What am I going to do? There was a guy eating noodles next to the phone. Excuse me, can you tell my friend where I am? I asked, holding the phone out to him. Eh? He said, while frowning. My friend, I said, pointing at the phone and repeating my request. He took the phone spoke to Junko, handed it back to me, and said, Okay, while holding his thumb up. I had only been in Japan for less than a day, and without the tremendous help of three strangers, getting to Sendai would have been close to impossible. I already loved Japan. Junko, her husband, Hidemi, and their infant son, Takeshi, greeted me at the station. When they spotted me, Junko tapped Hidemi's shoulder and pointed to me. They rushed to me and Junko said, Aru? I nodded and said, Junko? She nodded and looked at her husband and they both exhaled. I realized that I had taken a great deal of time at the station in Tokyo and with the confusion over what train I was on, they must have been concerned I was completely lost. My husband, Hidemi, Junko said. With the beaming smile and his infant son in his arms, he extended his hand 
while simultaneously bowing and said, Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, I said, and bowed back to him. He smiled at Jinko. They took me to a restaurant that served udon noodles. Before I left Canada, Thomas advised me that I might make mistakes, and that was okay. In fact, he said that that was the quickest way to learn Japanese culture. He told me that in Japan, you have to slurp the noodles when you eat. He told me that if you don't do that, it will seem like you don't enjoy the noodles. So I put two pieces of it, his advice together and bent over the hot steaming bowl of shrimp vegetables and plumped my chopsticks deep in the bowl, trapping a couple of helpless noodles and inhaled them as loud as I could. Beads of sweat formed on my brow as I continued to slurp and bask in the joy of uninhibited loud consumption of food. When I finished, I sat back as proud and as happy as a cat sitting in a box. I looked around, half expecting applause for my performance. But it seemed like everyone was taking discreet glances at me with small frowns on their faces. A few days later, Junko said to me, When you eat noodles, you are loud. My first lesson was I needed to make slurping sounds loud enough to show I enjoyed the noodles, but not so loud that I sounded like an elephant inhaling water through its trunk. So that's the end of that section. I still remember that day. It was really an extraordinary, optimistic, and exciting day. And the days that followed in being in Japan, I truly fell in love with the country and I still I still think about it to this day and I still have some of my Japanese and it was a wonderful experience that I'll truly be grateful for and you'll hear a little bit more about it in the next coming sections that I will be reading. So once again I hope you enjoyed today's reading. If you would like to follow me on Twitter my handle is at Alan G. Cooper. My blog is bipolarweekly.com. And I also have a Facebook group called The Bipolar Disorder Moment. I hope you enjoyed today's reading. Look forward to next week's reading. Thank you for listening. This has been another Bipolar Disorder 